0: For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Let's pray. Father, we ask now as we approach your word, that we would believe in our hearts that you you are speaking to us. God, help us to know that every word in this book is inspired and true. And so, Lord, we ask for just a special grace that we would um, have ears to hear, that we would have hearts that are humble and dependent on you. God, help us to know that faith is a gift. So, Lord, we ask now that this time would be honoring and true of your name. Amen. Today on the church calendar is a Sunday that we call Palm Sunday, and it's a Sunday in which Jesus entered into Jerusalem for the last time of his earthly ministry, Um, and just in a few days, Jesus um, would undergo a trial that was, uh, in layman's terms, bogus, and he would suffer under the hands of the Romans, crucifixion, and he would die. And then so from one week from the Palm Sunday where Jesus entered in Jerusalem with all um, glory and hosanna and people throwing palm branches and clothes before him, one week later he would rise from the dead with resurrection power to give to those who would freely trust in him. This is an important week for Christians. Uh, There are a lot of devotions. There are a lot of um, kind of sermons based on like the couple of days that Jesus spent in Jerusalem And what he did. And a lot of people take time to consider the things that Jesus did. One of my favorite days in in Passion Week is what we call Maundy Thursday. And that is when Jesus, uh, we celebrate um, and we reflect upon Jesus' sacrificial act of washing his disciples' feet. And for me, that story always is so unique because... You have the God of the universe coming down and doing something that seems so lowly for his disciples. And this is a great picture of how Jesus did not come to be served, rather he came to serve. And so as I consider this week that we're approaching, that we're in, um, as we lead up to Easter, I think as Christians we would do well to slow down and to contemplate the life of Jesus not just his death and resurrection, but, but the whole week leading up to this historical event that would change the world. And if we're not careful, I think we can get to Easter, and it becomes like every other year. The year where my mom makes me put on nice clothes, and we go through these Easter traditions. And it kind of seems like church is more crowded this day. And we try to you know, have a good family dinner. And more or less, the challenge and the temptation is that Easter becomes this kind of uh, cultural, religious day instead of a day to really reflect and wonder anew again at the amazing miracle that Jesus accomplished for us, his resurrection. And so as I consider that, um, I just wanted to spend a few minutes tonight considering what I think is one of the most important passages for us Christians, for us to to not just know, to not just consider, but to fully believe in our hearts with. And so Ephesians 2, 8, 9, if you were to put the Bible on a mountain range, you're going to have some low parts, you're going to have some some high parts, some peaks. And And I highly, highly believe that Ephesians 2, and particularly verses 8 and 9, would be at one of the tallest peaks in all of the Bible. And as I consider the Passion Week, and I consider Ephesians chapter 2, I, I think there's a strong correlation between the two. That when we, when we look at Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, when we look at him performing miracles, and when we look at these truths, there's not something that we're being called to actually go and do. When I, when I look at Jesus washing his disciples' feet, I don't think that is in the Bible so that therefore I would go to Brian Nemeth and go and wash his feet. I could do that. I'm sure that's okay. But I don't think that's like the implicit response. And so I think a lot of times in the Bible, um, we have this tendency when we read it or we study or we hear a sermon, we, we want to say, okay, what do I have to go do now? Another way of saying that is that we kind of think that all application in the Christian life results in having to do something. And that's a normal response because as people, we're kind of like concrete people. My wife will tell you that I'm like the typical guy. Why? Because when she's telling me a problem, she's not looking for a solution. She's looking for someone to listen but for me, I think problem, here's what you need to do. Fix it. And so in, in, in a similar way, I know it's kind of a distant way. Um, and by the way, I really have to work on that. So sometimes, even when I like talk to people at my house or like, I go out to coffee, I get in this like, I have this like note in my head like, Aaron, you're talking too much. Aaron, you're just being a fixer. Slow down. It's a work in progress, right? But similarly, when we come to the Bible... I think something we need to remind ourselves is that sometimes the Bible is just trying to get us to feel a different way. Or sometimes the implicit response of a passage is to get us to think differently about something. And sometimes maybe it is to actually have us do something different, to love and obey our parents more. And so as we consider Ephesians 2, 8, 9, um, and as I consider passion and what Jesus accomplished, what I want us to consider is three things to know about our salvation. And I bring that up, and before the crucifixion, before the big play our church is going to have, and before um, we celebrate Easter, because uh, I want us to take the time to actually think about what Jesus has done and why that's important. So, let us uh, go ahead and start, I have three points for us tonight. And um, I kind of had it in the category. I'm just going to give you all of them up front. Um, our salvation, okay? So there's three things that we must know about our salvation that Paul says. Okay, so go ahead and look down at uh, Ephesians chapter 2. Now, ideally, this passage is not designed to be preached in by just two verses, verses 8 and 9. This passage comes in a larger section of verses 4 through 10. Or excuse me, I think even uh, 1 through 10. And so if you look at verse 1, Paul begins chapter 2 of Ephesians saying, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world and following the prince of the power of the air. Now here's a, a good question for us to think about. When Paul says you were dead in your trespasses, the question is this. What do dead people do? They do nothing, right? Dead people can't do anything. And so, obviously, Paul here is speaking spiritually. You, at one point, before you were united in Christ, you were dead in your trespasses and your sins, And so he begins to talk about how at one point in our life, we were separated from Christ. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. But then verse 4, he says, but God. So after our condition of being dead, verse 4, God interjects into this. Verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which, which he had loved us, even when we were dead, he made us alive together in Christ. So this is the typical way for Paul to explain the gospel. It says, sin has led us on this course of death and destruction. Sin always leads to death and disintegration. But God. If you read the book of Romans, which a lot of people think um, Ephesians is a shorter version of the book of Romans, I mean it's as clear as day. Romans 1:1 one. 1 To Romans 3.20, Paul is talking all about sin and what it has done. and has disconnected us from God. And then you get Romans 3.20, 21. But God. It all starts with this idea of God coming in and he's he's beginning this process of rescuing us, of saving us. Even when we were dead in our sins, he made us alive. And so we get to verses 8 and 9. For by grace You have been saved through faith. So the first point is that our salvation is by grace alone. Now, when I was an Awana kid, I was maybe like six years old, and I had to tell my leader what the definition of grace was. And when I said such definition, I got a piece of candy. And so still to this day, I remember the, the book definition of grace that I conjured up to get my little mini Chris Bar. Grace is a gift that we do not deserve. Now, I like that, but in one way, I also feel like it kind of is a little short. Sure, grace is something that I don't deserve. It is unearned. But, but grace is also... Something that doesn't just happen to me once. It's not just a gift that I I have and then I am done with it. It is something that has a long-term effect. And so Paul here is trying to say, you were dead in your sins, but God made you alive, and here's how he did it. By grace. By you not earning it. So I, I... I feel bad sometimes recycling illustrations because I feel like, man, I should take the time to think of better illustrations. But there's just some illustrations that are so good that I can't think of a better one. And so an illustration I often use for Greece is... Blake, do you know it? No? Okay. What? Close. This is the geometry test. So when I was a junior in high school... Kevin Danlovich on the bus is like Yo Garness, Let me have your homework. I was like, here you go. Like, this is what you did for friends, right? And so I wasn't any good at geometry. Like, I like just barely put the answers down. Didn't show a lot of my work. And um, whatever, I turned my packet in. And he only there's like ten homework assignments. He'd only look at one of them. He wouldn't look at all of them. So I was just kind of like, hoped that he would never look at the bad ones, right? And so <laughs> we're taking the test that day, and Mr. Kimbrough is looking through Kevin's notebook, and he looks at the piece of geometry homework that Kevin has. He's like, hmm, hey, Kevin, can you come here for a second? <laughs> hey, Kevin, I um, was noticing here that you don't have uh, a lot of your... Yeah, I copied Aaron on the bus this morning. <laughs> Bro, he didn't even ask. Like, dude, that's not even like you like wanted me to get in trouble. Like, you didn't even try to skirt. You could have said so many things. You did what? Hey. Aaron. Aaron, is did you is that true? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And so he calls up front. Oh man, I was like, I just like. I was like walking up front and it's like (laughs) I made eye contact with him, like, bro, bro. So Mr. Kimmerer was like, you know, listen, this is class. Come back at lunch. We'll figure it out. It was fourth period, so we had to go through fifth period. I had to go through a whole hour and a half of, like, this stomach, like, stomach in knots, and we get there, and he's like, oh, hey, guys, come on in. Hey, so I thought about it, and I would like to show you grace. You guys deserve a zero, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a piece of paper, and I, wanna, I want you to write down the score that you believe you actually deserved and give it to my TA, and he'll record it. I won't look at it, no questions asked. I just want you to know that sometimes we all can use a little grace in our life. Now can I call my mom? <laughs> and uh, I remember being very annoyed with my friend Kevin, who just wrote down 100 really quick, threw it and walked away, and didn't, like... I guess, absorb the, the kindness that was being shown to him. I mean, I sat there for minutes, not, not sure what to put. And I think I, like, was still kind of, like, whipping myself a little bit for being so dumb and gave myself, like, a C or something. Um, but I, I tell you what, I never lost respect for that teacher again. Because um, I knew he was a Christian, and he was actively trying to demonstrate grace. And so when it comes to our salvation, when we consider Jesus and all what he did in his earthly life, by raising little girls from the dead, by healing the leper, by giving the blind their sight, by remaining sinless, even when people sin against him, by him dying on the cross, all of that was done so that we wouldn't have to in order that he could say, no, I, I've done it, let me do it for you. But do you notice what he adds there, that preposition? He says, through faith, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, 4, by grace you have been saved by the means of your faith. Is a good way of looking at that. And so a lot of times I, I, I kind of have this personal pet peeve with that word faith, but it's not like I am against the word faith, but sometimes I think in our context it doesn't mean a lot. And so what does Paul mean, therefore? Because if we're saying it's grace, but I'm still doing something, doesn't that kind of work against the idea of grace? And that's what leads us to our second point, in which salvation is a gift. And we'll come back to that faith part in a second. And so he goes on in verse 8, and he says this, And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. So speaking of Christ rescuing us, Speaking of God initiating salvation in our life, do you know some of the most boldest words he could say? You didn't do this. Think about it for a second. You becoming a Christian was not by your own doing, but it was by God's initiation in your own life. Because it's a gift. But let me ask you a question. What do you typically do with a gift? You receive it. So in one sense, if I came up to Riley and I I get him a brand new electric guitar, super nice and sweet, has like the best pickups in it, and I say, Riley, here you go. Oh, thank you so much. But man, this is an expensive guitar. And Aaron, I know you have four daughters. Let me just pay you a little bit for this guitar. Like, no, no, rather, it's a gift. I'm giving it to you. No, I really appreciate that. Okay, so maybe if I don't pay you any money for it, let me, um, let me come mow your lawn for a few times. I'll make it up somehow to you. I want to give you something in return for this gift that you've given me. You see, if I were to accept anything back in in favor for that gift, in essence, it stopped becoming a gift. And it's become some kind of consumer relationship where I give him something for something in return. And the whole idea of grace is is to speak against that. And the idea of a gift is to receive it and not to try to buy it back or earn it in any way, but simply to say, I will take that gift. But, But let's not go too quick here. Because sometimes receiving a gift can be um, a hard thing. So for example, if Riley decided to give me a gift and it said 10 ways to lose belly fat <laughs> and he wraps it up, says hey Aaron, I got you this gift. <laughs> Open it. I have a few responses here. Okay. If I say, dude, thank you so much. That's awesome. Like, you know what? I I need this, man. Thanks for subtly and backstabbing me um, by giving me this book, you know. Um, But if if I receive that and say thank you, in essence, what I'm kind of showing is I need this. I need this gift. But if I were to say, dude, what the heck's the matter with you? I don't need this. I'm not, and, I, and I don't receive the gift. What I'm kind of saying is I don't need that book. And so to receive a gift actually admits that you kind of need it. And so when Paul says here that salvation, what Jesus has done is a gift to you, it is you having to admit something that I need this gift. And what is that realization? that I cannot earn God's favor on my own. And so when we say receive the gift, you know another word we use for that is we have faith. So when Paul says in that same verse, it is by grace through faith, it is by his it's him saying we receive this grace by trusting and resting in what Jesus has done in his life, death and resurrection. You see, every single time any of you begin to relate to God like a a landlord, that he has done something good for you and you need to pay him back, you need to do some good to kind of get back on better terms, what you have done is you have just said, I don't want to receive your gift, I just want to earn it. And as um, I'm the kind of person who hates feeling like I owe someone something. I don't like being in debt. I don't like having um, to owe people a favor or two. I like to be all square. And the thing with this gift, the thing with salvation, is if we receive it, if we accept it, if we say, yes, Jesus, I'm going to, it is saying, I can never pay you back for this. So let me apply this a little bit. Some of us here, We truly believe in Jesus with all our hearts. We hear the story of the gospel. We hear about his life, death, and resurrection. And it resonates deeply with us. And we believe in him. And we try to follow him. But then Monday morning comes. And we sin. Maybe maybe we get in an argument with our parents. Maybe we do a little gossip. Monday morning gossip on the way to school. Maybe we look at things we shouldn't. Maybe we cheat on our geometry homework. Maybe we are very critical of a lot of people. And at some point, we kind of realize, man, I've done a lot of bad things today. I kind of think God might be a little mad at me. God might be a little grieved. And so what we do is we say, okay, well, I just kind of... Got to not do that for a couple of days, and then God will kind of not be as mad anymore. Or maybe we try to read our Bible enough to maybe think that God is going to be more okay with me, better terms on me, if I just kind of do a few good things. Let me open up my own life for a second. For years and years, and maybe still even at times periodically in my life now, I struggle with the concept of God that when I sin God looks over me and says, "Aaron, technically you're saved. Technically you're my child. But I'm just a little disappointed in you right now." I'm just wish you didn't do that, man. And so what I do is I kind of try to put a little bit of distance between God and myself. And uh, when I come to church or youth group or maybe even preaching a message, kind of just go through the motions a little bit. Kind of sing the words. I, I go to a small group. I say the right things. I even have conversations with people where I lead the discussion. But because I feel this sense of like, I have made God a little upset at me, I need to give him some time. I need to kind of, kind of work myself back into a better standing with God. I know I'm a Christian. I know that I'm saved, but I just know that God might be a little annoyed at me. And do and you know what the issue in my heart is in that moment? Is that I'm not believing the gospel. Because the gospel says that at all times, God yearns for my embrace. God yearns for a, a close, intimate relationship with me. And do you want to know something? Even on your worst day of sinning, God relates to you the exact same way on your best day. Do you know why? Because he doesn't relate to us based on our performance, but on what Christ has done. Do you see why it's so neat to consider the Passion Week and the crucifixion? Because all of that was being done for me So that I can have a relationship with God that even when I go off the the rails, out the deep end, even if I have my my worst day of sinning, God will still rejoice over me and love me. You know, I I don't want to say that God isn't grieved by our sins. I think he is. But it's not the type of grieving where God crosses his arms and points his finger down. It's a type of grieving where he says, if only you embrace my love, you'd be so much more happy. And so when we begin to consider this gift that Paul describes about, we lose all sense of, I want to do something. I just want to tell me what to do. Paul is trying to get us to think differently. Every single relationship you may have in this temporal human life may work. If I make you mad, I'll give you a few hours, I'll come back and I'll try to make it better by doing something. But with God, Jesus has done all of that. And so that leads us to our third point, that our salvation is not by our own good. Verse 9, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Do you know what is so neat about the Christian life? Is that we are all the same in Christ. Something that, it was studying in the book of Colossians years ago, I came to this conclusion that Jesus is the great equalizer. That it doesn't matter your race, your ethnicity, your language that you speak, how much money you have, whether you're old, whether you're young, whether you are intelligent and whether you're not, that if you have faith in Christ, every single one of us stands as a co-hair of Christ. And so this idea of not boasting in yourself, Paul says, listen, salvation can't be earned by doing good things. That's what we call works, Right? works as anything that's like a good deed, by me opening the door for people, by me putting money in the offering plate, by me complimenting people's strengths, all of those good deeds don't do anything in regards to our salvation. Do you know why that's great news? Because there are a lot of people out there who do a lot more good works than me. Let me say it a different way. There are a lot of people who are better at me at a lot of things. But do you want to know something? God doesn't look at that person and say, oh, they're so much better. They do way more than that person. Oh, this person gives way more money than this person. Oh, this person, man, they, they hold the door all the time. I, I only mention that illustration because my mother-in-law and my mother always hark on me for opening the door. It's like, I hold the door open, but they like expect me to hold them for a minute. Like, yo, know, I respect its establishment enough, and the cold air is getting in. Either you're behind me or you're not. Uh-huh. Hold the door open, people. <laughs> and so our salvation, guys, listen, our salvation isn't by any kind of religious activity that we can do. It isn't by me trying to believe more. It isn't by me trying to, to do enough good things for God to be happy with me again. So as I consider Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, there's one last word I, I just wanted to consider. For by grace you have been saved. on the trajectory of repeating illustrations. I once was with some random family member, and we went on a hike, and we were walking back, and the sun's getting, going down, losing his power, and he's like, hey, that trail leads back to the car. Why one, one of you try it out and see if it's quicker? Sure. So I head down this, it's like, you know, like that, that poem. Two paths. Yeah, totally. Bad. So I'm heading down this path, and it's starting to get dark, so I'm picking up the pace a little bit. And I just like, my intuition as a seventh grader was not great, because like, the, the parking lot is over here. And I'm heading like this way, you know, like, this doesn't seem right. And I finally make it, and I, I, meet, I come up to this, like, a fence of some big factory, like a false front. And I realized this path went to nowhere. And at this time, I mean, shadows are. Everywhere, and it is getting dark quick, and so I just start booking it. That's about a twenty-minute walk, and so I'm just trying to run as fast as I can until it just—it's dark. Like, we're talking like stars in the sky, and I can't see. And I, I cannot see anything. Um, and long story short, I, I call for help, and you know, I guess like, i literally, like, I'm like in the weeds somewhere. It's so dark. And they call an, a, a cop, and, and I see in the distance like a little blue-red light, and I, and I kind of am yelling, and then I hear some people kind of yell back, and then a flashlight comes, and it, and it rescues me, and it brings me back up. and It's like 7.30 by the time I got to the car. And I remember at that moment in seventh grade, I was in a city I did not know with someone I didn't know that well, and I was lost. I was lost, and I needed help. And I think back to that in a sense. Every single one of us before Christ were lost in our sins. We did not desire God. We did not consider Him lovely or beautiful. And forever the words of Ephesians 2.4 will stick in my mind. But God, being rich in mercy, Because of the great love with which he loved us. Do you know what he did? He saved us. He saved us from our sins. He saved us from ourselves. And you know what the greatest part of that? It is a gift. It is simply a gift. Our justification is not dependent on how good of a Christian I am. It is not dependent on how much I believe or how little I don't believe. It is not dependent on how great of messages I give or how often I read my Bible. It is not dependent on whether I only say the F word every once in a while or if I never say it. So I encourage you guys as as high schoolers in, in your faith, in your faith journey with Jesus, to not consider this week as another week of just looking at a really inspiring story. to look at a guy who suffered this unimaginable death by being crucified, and he did a really great thing by raising from the dead. But to consider this week, as watching your salvation unfold, as watching the means of Christ saving us by his shed blood on the cross and his broken body in order for the forgiveness of our sins, that we would not have to earn anything to be called children of God, but by faith and trust alone in Jesus, we can receive this gift. We can become children of the promise. We can become children of the most high, mighty God by our simple faith. I encourage you guys in in your walks with the Lord to not relate to God on anything that you do, but only in what Christ has done. Only because God has loved us and has initiated his love towards us can we be saved. And so Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it might not be telling us to do something directly. But don't be fooled. It is telling us to think something far drastic than any other religion, and it is telling us to feel something different. And the feeling should be this. Thankfulness and gratitude that God has loved us and that He has shown us His mercy. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, and we ask, God, that um, you would help us to lean into what it means to be someone who lives in grace. God, so many days we forfeit the blessings there are for those who relate to you purely on what Christ has done. God, so many of us in so many days carry around with us anxiety and worry and fear. God, many of us on many days approach you as a taskmaster, someone to appease, someone to make things right again, and help our, our hearts to know, to trust, and to believe that Jesus has taken care of it for us. Jesus, let us not look passively at your life and what you, what you did on the cross. Help us to marvel in it. Help us to be in awe that you have saved us through such a miraculous way. And so, Father, we pray that the new life that would come through receiving this gift of grace, that it would translate into hearts that are thankful, hearts that are eager and willing to obey, hearts that desire to share this gift with others. God, thank you for grace. God, thank you that you have provided a way that we don't have to carry, our sins any longer. Be glorified in this time, we pray. Amen.